Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. The Lens is a business and the community podcast. It's supported by Fujitsu in partnership with McCann. My guests today are Asesh Sarkar, the co-founder and CEO of Salary Finance, and Ellie Marshall, a graduate analyst at Deloitte. And in this episode, we talk all about money. In particular, we talk about the link between our finances and our mental health. We'll think about how we learn about money in the first place, and we'll hear how someone building one of the UK's fastest growing tech companies looks after his company and himself. Let's get to the conversation. Well, Ellie, Asesh, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Now, a graduate analyst. Now, Deloitte, everyone has heard of Deloitte. It is one of the big four, clearly. So it's sort of everything, I suppose, from tax, accounting, management, consultancy. Every, everybody's heard of it. Um, so it's great to welcome you today. And of course, Asash, this must take you back uh, to a past life. <laughs> it does, it does. I absolutely spent uh, probably 13 or 14 years in consulting before uh, founding Sorry Finance, absolutely. Yeah, so I might I might ask you to uh, turn the clock back a bit, but I will I will um, um, start with you, um, Asesh, because um, before your entrepreneurial days and even before your big four uh, days, where where did work start for you? What was your first ever rung on the ladder? Rung on the ladder. So I guess uh, I guess it unofficially started my you know dad uh, had a restaurant uh, and then I used to help him and I kind of you know I guess that was my first uh, kind of first ever job. Uh, and then my second was probably. Uh, when I worked in a supermarket and I had a particularly glamorous job, which was um, uh, in supermarkets, uh, there is food which goes off like tins. And then what you have to do is you have to empty a whole section and then find if anything was out of date. Yes. And so a good day would be where you found two or three tins which happened to be out of date. And a bad day would be, well, well depending which way you look at it, where, where you'd find nothing. So that, that was my second job. Yeah. Uh, and then, then I guess my first proper job was uh, as a management uh, consultant after graduating. Yeah, so you work with some of the very big firms. And very interesting with salary finance. So this is all about financial wellness. Uh, for employees. And I think what you're doing is you're letting them save, but through their salary. Just just give us an example of how it works. Very clever. Yeah, sure. So I guess maybe if I kind of, you know, kind of touch on, I guess, uh, kind of why we set up the company. Yeah. And so, uh, so you know, I have two children. Uh, we have a nanny. Um, and what, what we found with our children is nanny, and actually our, our children are pretty uh, active kids, and so she worked very hard. But uh, what we'd find is that over, over time she'd become increasingly stressed because of, uh, of money worries. Uh, and I guess we, we, we found that somewhat... Um, Kind of strange, just because she was paid actually kind of kind of quite quite well. Um, but what 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 we, what we found is that uh, you know a lot of her income would go paying off high cost debts, you know payday loans, credit cards, and so on. Um, and so it kind of seemed very strange that you know each month we would pay her, but then a lot of that money she wouldn't keep, even though she worked really hard. We'd just go on payday loans and credit cards, and on the interest, and on the interest. And, and what felt even more strange is that because I worked in the uh, in the city, um, that you know I would just simply go out and get a a loan at a bank at a very low low interest rate. So it just seemed to be very, very unfair. Um, and so so what we did for our nannies, what we did on a big, much bigger scale today, so uh, we paid off her, her debts for her. We essentially gave her an employee loan. Uh, we collected a small amount for, uh, from her pay each pay period. Uh, that allowed her to keep more of her own money, uh, allowed, her, allowed her to pay off her debt a lot uh, kind of sooner. Uh, she was, as a result, a lot happier, did a lot better job of looking after her children. Um, and, then, and then so we, we did, uh, uh, I guess, at a 
kind of global level today across the UK and US and other countries we're looking at uh, where we work with large employers and give their employees the same facility. Uh, but like you say, we also allow it to help employees save. And so uh, employees can choose to save a certain amount of their income each pay period, even before it goes into their account. We find people, if money goes into their account, they just spend it. Uh, and then we also help give people access to their income at a frequency which works for them. Right. In other words, not having to wait until payday That's right. to draw some of that down. Okay. So, so for any big employer uh, listening, they might say, well, this is a very good idea. I can help my employees save. I can uh, help them draw down some money uh, before payday and, and so on. But, but, but perhaps we can do this on our own. So where does salary finance make it any easier? And in that sense, why, why is there a role for you in the mix? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I guess we, we work today um, for about 150 companies across the UK and kind of US, kind of large organizations, organizations like that kind of Tesla um, in the US, I um, mean, organizations like you know, you know, Sainsbury's over here. Um, and I guess what, the reason why um, organizations use us is because um, uh, to, to do what we do, you know, we, I think we've raised about 57 million in equity so far. Um, there's a lot of technology behind it to make it easy to make it work. We've lost lots, lots of kind of capital. And so uh, for any individual company trying to replicate what we do is actually quite a lot of work. Uh, but when we do, obviously, lots of companies, it's much easier to do so. Uh, and also the service doesn't cost anything for employers. It's free for employers. Employees gain a lot of value. So uh, there's an incremental benefit for them doing it themselves. Got it. So you are a co-founder, three of you. Uh, That's right. Dan X Google, Daniel, yes. social entrepreneur, your more consulting background, but you're all on a mission. Uh, a, a secret to your team's success as, as co-founders. One thing you've learned. So I guess one of the things that works really well is, I guess, um, we all have very different different skills uh, and we're all very respectful of each other's skills. So, uh, so, so Daniel uh, Shikani, for example, a social entrepreneur, you know, he is world class at um, you know finding really interesting people and opportunities uh, that could really make 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 a difference uh, whereas you know and, and you know he will go to a lot of events and things I personally hate going to events and similar things but what I do like as an ex-consultant uh, solving problems you know building platforms and things like that uh, and, and and Dan is you know has just has a brilliant uh, brilliant mind and so I think the three of us together are both very respectful of what we each bring got it uh, and, and as a result get on get on very well got it. well there you go Dan you've been told you're a schmoozer it's official <laughs> but, but, but a very important uh, part of the mix now um, on, on a serious note half of people um, in problem debt um, so the research shows us also have a mental health problem and I thought as if we could just unpick that a little bit these two things are linked I wonder how to uh, talk yeah, a bit about that absolutely so I think um, uh, it's, it's been really great to see over the past few years in particular kind of mental health really make it into the mainstream it's, it's no longer a kind of a taboo uh, taboo subject in some ways uh, financial health is kind of getting there but it's still probably a little bit further uh, further behind uh, and, and for us the two are inextricably linked so, so the reality is um, you know, if you have um, money worries for, you know, as my children's nanny did for example you know that that exhibits signs of mental stress so it's you know if you have uh, you know you know, uh, you know, debtors chasing you, or if simply you're working hard but not progressing in life, or if you have children and they can't go on their, um, you know, school trip because you don't have the money, or whatever it may be. If you have, you know, financial stress, um, that, that clearly plays on your mind. Um, and then if you have uh, are susceptible to kind of, uh, you know, being unable to kind of deal with kind of mental stress anyway, then actually it makes it a lot, a lot worse. And so we think at a very kind of human individual level, uh, the two are very linked. They, they, they say money can't make you happy, which is probably true. Uh, but I'd say money can make you unhappy. Um, and so the, the kind of two, two things together for us uh, kind of play together very closely. Uh, and over time, a lot of employers we work with uh, implement financial wellness solutions because they actually really care about mental health. Yeah. And it sounds to me as well that it is, to a certain extent, um, circular. 
Very much. And we also know um, that uh, a number of people with mental health uh, problems are in problem debt and, uh, so. and, and and some of those issues can affect that. Um, you know, it, it works both ways, doesn't it? Um, it's interesting you talk about um, the, the, the two in this way. Um, why do you think there is a bit of a taboo about talking about our finances? Yeah, so I think it's because, you know, I guess it's a very British thing not to talk about um, money. Um, and I think just a level of conservatism. Uh, and um, I think the same was of mental health in kind of recent years ago. You know, you know, certainly, I think five, ten years ago, you know, people just wouldn't talk about it in the same way they do today. And it's your sense that they're really talking about it or are they just saying the phrase mental health? And thinking that's talking about it. I mean, what what do you see yeah. even in the organisation? So I certainly see today very senior, prominent leaders who will openly talk about their mental health. They'll openly talk about being bipolar, whatever. Uh, and, and, and they see that as a way of kind of helping others. In the same way, you hear less of people saying, well... Um, you know, you know what, uh, actually, you know, I had financial struggles and I really kind of worked myself up. These are my kind of top tips. And, and you're just saying, that, you know, you know we, we talk about Deloitte, for example. So, you know, one of our clients is, is one of the big four, actually, uh, not Deloitte, but one of the other big four consulting firms. And you kind of think, well, actually, if you work for a big four and this is the accounting division, uh, then actually you're, you're pretty good at money. You know, of course, you're not going to have financial stress. But the reality is if you, you know, go to university for four years and if you come to London as in this expensive city and you need a rental deposit and you don't have wealthy parents and you have no credit score, what do you do right and so so uh, and you know and they for example come to us and kind of we help them, them through that but so but ordinary people that talk when you're going to do a graduate program not you're not going to be saying well actually i'm you know, struggling i can't you know i can't find a rental deposit so, so i think you know it, it is more of a taboo subject than it used to be but it's starting to get certainly starting to get better right and so on the one hand you've got some solutions in place to what extent do you actively encourage um you know the team at uh, salary finance to talk about their financial situations clearly it's close to your heart you care yeah, about it very but much do, they, so. do you want them to talk about it to you yeah very much so. and so for, for us it's important that we have a range of a range of solutions a range of tools kind of tips and and so, so for us you know we, we have a, a chap called jason butler who's our head of financial education uh, he will run regular sessions for the teams and so you know for our newer graduates coming in you know yeah, what are the four or five things you should be doing as you join the kind of world of work? Uh, so absolutely, you know, it is important for us as an organisation to really care about our employees, to so allow us then to kind of care about others right, as and well. And walk the talk, it's something you're Very promoting so. as well. Right, well, the position you find yourself in to influence other employers is something we might all say, come on to. So, uh, uh, so, so um, let's talk about that uh, shortly. Ellie, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. And I know that you're sort of fairly sort of um, fairly new to, to the organisation as well, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you're graduate intake 2018. Mm, yeah, yeah, very new. Eight whole months. <laughs> Deloitte's famously tough to get into, so congrats in the first place. Any, any advice for anyone lining up for interview? I think the main thing that I would say to people that are applying to kind of any big four or any grad scheme, really, um, is just to be yourself. I think for a while, it sounds really cheesy, but um, for a while at university, I think I was trying so hard to put myself in this kind of box of what I thought employers were looking for. But in reality, they don't want you to kind of fit the kind of stereotype of what a good grad looks like. They want you to be yourself. They want you as an individual rather than what you think that they are looking for. Yes, you you didn't put on an act. I think when I was applying, especially when I was applying to kind of internships before I was applying to graduate schemes, I kind of put on this image of what I thought people were looking for and I kind of started to realise that in reality it's not at all like that. It's more um, a 
when I started to actually apply to graduate schemes, I then started to kind of be myself in assessment centres and here I am today. Yeah, well, right. Well, <laughs> well I, I have interviewed people who took like 20 years in their career mm. before they woke up to that, <laughs> you know, let's drop the mask sort of thing. Um, mm. so, so let's just go back a step. Just tell mm. us about those early steps because uh, Le- Leeds University. Yes. Great choice of university. Thank you very much. So what happened next? Because it's sort of, sort of a world of opportunity and yeah. you can apply to anything. You go into one of the best firms in the world. Um, what, rungs before that, where'd you start? So I started, actually, when I was at university, I wanted to be a lawyer. So oh. I, when I studied economics and history, I wanted to come out and I wanted to do a law conversion. Um, and that was my plan. And then I kind of started to do kind of um, internships and work experience. And I kind of started to think, oh, I want to try something a bit different. I want to try something a bit more kind of varied. And mm. I then tried um, something completely different. I tried insurance because yes. my family, um, my dad has an insurance background. I gave that a go. wasn't for me. Um, I then kind of thought in my second year, had the typical university panic of what am I going to do when I graduate? Yep. And I then, through Bright Networks, found out about management consulting and I got some really great information from them on, obviously I knew the big four, but what the industry was like as a whole and I kind of did a bit more research and yeah, applied and here I am today. And this is a good, this is a good plug actually, because Bright Network is how we met and they are very, very good actually at just saying, look, here's what this whole industry is Mm. about because it can be quite foggy, can't it? Very foggy. And I think as a graduate, it's it's so overwhelming um, and especially going back to your point on mental health, I think it can be so overwhelming and so um, you can easily kind of be buried by the different um, career paths you can take. And I think another thing that I would say to current undergrads is you're in no rush to start your career and you are... You don't need to kind of go full pelt at something thinking that it's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Mm. It's something that um, you'll kind of fall into and you'll find your niche and find what you're enjoying. And I think as an undergrad, it's, um, yeah, fantastic having an organisation like Brett and to kind of clear the fog and make right. it a little bit clearer. No, good. Well, it, it can be very tempting to think that all the exciting stuff in business happens in small companies. Mm. You know, here goes, I mean, asset salary <laughs> finance is hardly small anymore, but it's certainly, uh, you know, uh, well almost in startup phase, isn't it? I wonder, though, I bet there are certain benefits mm. in working for a very large company. Mm. I mean, 280,000 mm. employees mm. all around the world. This is a sort of 40-plus billion-dollar yeah. organisation. What, what's, what's on the plus side? What, what, what's great about being within that very large organisation? I think, um, so Deloitte takes on about 1,000 grads a year across the whole of the UK. And although it seems it seems like a lot, but in reality, it doesn't feel like you're working for a gigantic company because you're really valued as an individual. Um, so some of the things that I really enjoy um, personally are the opportunities you have for your personal development. So be that through taking um, courses internally. So you can, at the moment, I'm working on um, developing my skills in kind of future of work propositions so I'm taking a lot of kind of courses on that and you get to choose that exactly and you can kind of make your own path and I think the global nature of the business is fantastic because you can go on projects to Switzerland to the US the opportunities are kind of endless and I think although it feels that it it is a big company but it doesn't really feel that way it still right. kind of has that kind of family kind of protective element interesting quality to preserve isn't it Mm. so what we hear and what we read is that big companies now are talking about mental health and i just want to get your personal Mm. reflection on that if that's Mm. not too uh, personal a question you know to what extent is it talked about and what is done Mm. uh, to i guess improve the well-being the mental health Mm. of the team and um, you you might reflect on deloitte but also anything Mm. you've seen a bit more broadly How, how does it occur i think speaking from my own personal experience i think 
it is a conversation that, as I just was saying, it's um, people are talking more about mental health now. I think that's really important. I think it's definitely something that we um, promote at Deloitte, both kind of with your physical well-being and your mental well-being. So be that through our Flourish Consulting Network, which is um, our well-being initiative. Um, and we've also got mental health champions. And something that I really like personally is in our new building in One New Street Square, we have the retreat, which is a place where you can go and you can you leave all of your electronics outside and you can just go sit down and just have a space for just calm mm. and just to just think without the kind of distractions of the outside world with phones ringing and Skype messages pinging, all that kind mm. of stuff. It's just some time to kind of really collect your thoughts. I wonder if there's a stigma around sneaking off to the retreat. It's not sneaking off, is it? It's not a stigma at all, really. I think, if anything, it's kind of promoted and it's something that especially in more recent years, people, employers have realised that it's a very important matter and it's something that um, is kind of even recommended by my team if they can see that I, um, if I've been working very hard and I just kind of get a time to just take, um, take some time out and just breathe and I think it is really promoted. Right, so this is what I want to dig into a bit, Asesh mm. and Ellie, if that's mm. all right. So my big question is, how do we create a work environment where people work hard are highly productive and yet do not burn out, suffer the stress, which has such a hugely damaging effect on their mental health. Asesh, give, give us some starters for 10. How do you create that environment? Sure. So I'd say, you know, we, we've been going for about three and a half years now. And from that time, we've gone from uh, kind of me, Daniel and Dan, through to about 130 people now across the UK and kind of US. And so I would say, you know, kind of I and we have had to mature in that time to create the right environment. So, you know, for your first six months to a year, survival is key. And the reality is, you know, everyone is working long hours and all of those types of things. But you get to a certain stage where you realise to really um, be your best uh, and to really enjoy the journey uh, individually, but also to create an environment where we can be our best and people can kind of enjoy it. Uh, that is, you do have to be really thoughtful about leadership and the environment you create. Uh, and, and then that was a real epiphany moment for me. And so, uh, you, know, you know, some people suggested uh, that we bring in a leadership uh, kind of, you know, training person uh, and, and personally I thought it was a complete waste of time um, but, but I still went with it to keep uh, keep everyone happy uh, and, and for me that the penny really dropped and made me realise actually I was a pretty poor leader at the time uh, I, was, I was good at building a business you know I, I knew you know, you know I, I was a creator of the product I kind of know how it all, all kind of works I've got a clear vision but in terms of being a great leader to people uh, it was clear to me that I was not providing enough care um, in, in, in that. So what's an example of what changed then as a result? Yeah, so, so kind of two, two three things that changed. So, so one is I used to focus really on everyone in the organisation. I end up really spreading myself really thin. But what, what I really realised is that what I really need to focus on is my um, kind of immediate leadership team, really empower them and allow them to then kind of look after their teams and then that kind of uh, kind of uh, precipitates. Um, the other thing we, we, we did is really kind of set up clear messages around um, the reality is there is not, uh, there were more opportunities in our hours in a day and you have to draw the line somewhere. So, so we, we kind of moved to a culture whereby it is completely fine to say this is too much. But what we should do is be much more structured. So let's have kind of, you know, weekly, you know, monthly, quarterly planning sessions and let's work it through. So, so we created, a, 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 we made it, and, and I'm always very open, which is I don't work weekends. I very rarely work the evenings. I have two children, you know, enjoy spending time with family. Mm-hmm. And so I don't expect others to do the same. Um, so there's a kind of clear kind of, you know, cultural statement. 
but it does require a lot of thought around how you manage a company um, to to allow that to happen and for people not to think um, they have to work all hours. Because the reality is you have to draw the line somewhere. It's just a question of whether you do it after working 14 hours or, or eight or nine. Okay, and I wonder how helpful those lines are because presumably a company can exist where you say, if you want to work until midnight, you go for it. Or do you feel there's something unhealthy about that, that you ought to be actively encouraging people when to switch off? So so for us, it's about, um, you know, individual choice as opposed to being forced into it. So so there there are periods in my life where I've had incredible learning opportunities. Um, Work has been my number one priority. Um, and I've enjoyed it. And, you know, and for, for me, the, the, the meshing of work and personal life is completely meshed. So, so I don't see work as work. Even when I was a consultant, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed, been fortunate to enjoy what I do. Um, it is important to have boundaries and to switch off. And so, so for us, it's people where they want to work more is because they are enjoying it, they are learning from it. And it may be there's a stage in their life where they want to do that as opposed to, you know, you have to do it because it's a kind of drain. And so uh, equally a lot of people do over because they want to learn something new. So first it's making sure it's an individual choice and they're empowered rather than feeling it's a cultural thing and a force to do it. Now, I wonder, Ellie, I mean, in in, in many senses, you are are on a fast track, right? So Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's any link between well-being, which we've been talking about, and and this flexibility Mm -hmm. that Asesh is certainly enabling. I don't know how you see that. We hear a lot about flexible working. I I wonder (laughs) how it looks to you. Bit of a buzzword, isn't it, at the moment, this kind of like agile working, working from home. I totally agree with what Asher is saying. And I think what I found most interesting is the impact that leadership has on the kind of trickle down of um, well-being. And I think it is something that... um, massively plays a part in your mental health and I think especially in the work that you do I think you need to have idle time to kind of recharge your brain Mm. and allow yourself to kind of switch off and have that kind of good work-life balance. Um, I also think that for example yesterday I was working from home and just that the optionality to kind of work more flexibly and kind of dictate what you feel would make you work and be more productive I think is a really um, important topic. Right so I'm going to put you on the spot here Ellie you're crossing paths (laughs) with the new managing partner of Deloitte in the corridor and uh, the subject which you pick on is how we improve the well-being of of the organisation and and the new managing partner I know will be a practical sort so ideas I think that management consulting, an industry as a whole, um, I think there is a stereotype that you are working very long hours and there's very little work-life balance because, for example, you're away on client projects. And obviously, even though it's not the case um, at Deloitte, in in my personal experience, um, I feel that it would be great to have um, more conversation from the leadership on promoting this kind of like work-life balance and allowing it to kind of trickle down and although we do have the fantastic um, initiatives at the moment so we are promoting kind of agile working and um, working from home and um, allowing working mothers to for example take some time off and work a bit more flexibly to fit around their busy schedules um, I think that there is there is definitely in the industry as a whole there is more that can be done right and it's such a distinction i'm just really uh, you know understanding as you talk about it between we'll read the small print we enable this versus mm. i am speaking about this mm. as the leader of this organization definitely and it definitely ties into your own yeah um yeah first hand i guess Asesh. yeah very, very, very much so and i think you know uh, you know i guess kind of sleep plays a big big part in this and i guess uh Yes, as a person, I travel a lot between the UK and the US, and so I you know kind of uh, I'm in uh, in the UK one week, US the other. 
um, and then I always, um, I always, every time I'm on a plane, I always kind of think, well, this is great, eight hours of solid work, uh, and that's what I used to do. And then I'd come off really tired, and then I'll go into either the UK office or the US office, uh, and I'd be tired, uh, and. Uh, and then I just thought it's just not a good way to be. Perhaps my to-do list looks a bit better, but you know, a lot of you know being successful in a business is about how you carry yourself, how thoughtful you are, how creative you are. And if you're tired, you just can't do that. And so, so now, and it's still hard. It's, it's always, always strange. I'll go on a plane and I'll sleep, and I always feel guilty. I don't know why I feel guilty. I always feel about guilty. But then once I've done it and I can see how much more productive I am, I'm always happy. But always in that moment, I say, "Oh, I'm doing something wrong here. I'm sleeping. That's a, that's a bad thing." And so I think absolutely. I think you know, just culturally, I think uh, and equally, I was in consulting. You know, I, I, I do think it's uh, you know, uh, kind, of, it's kind of getting better. There is you know this kind of tendency to value hours and output, but but equally, you know, the consulting industry is very much about creativity now, uh, and creativity does require. Um, you know, not just hours. It requires kind of a headspace as well. Mm-hmm. Got it. I like it. And not too much creativity on the accounting side, please. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I said, what, what, what we've got here? I said, you know, you've got a real social purpose to the business. You are making money and you are making a difference. Are, th- are those two always just, you know, do they, do they sort of skip along merrily together? I mean, I want to I really understand if there's ever a tension between those two things. Surely at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess yeah, that is, I guess, our founding philosophy. So that's kind of really why uh, I kind of set up Sally Finance. I was always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur at the in- intersection of doing good, but also doing something which was commercially scalable. Uh, and my, my view is, is there's kind of, you know, lots of people um, who want to do good, uh, but actually spend the majority of their time and talent being productive, but not necessarily kind of you know doing things which have a tangible impact on society. And then certainly, when I look at a lot of a lot of corporate social responsibility, um, you know that is really you know, well. Let's spend ninety five percent of our time making money and five percent you know feeling good about ourselves. Uh, but for me, actually, if, if you if you try to link the two, it's quite quite possible. Um, and so that, that's essentially what we do at Salary Finance, which is rather than lending money for 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 the sake of it, we we, we kind of really worked out that you know consumer finance is really unintentionally regressive so uh, you know my work you know my, my wife works in hospital for example and so if you're a consultant for example you generally get paid well you go out to a bank and you get a low interest rate if you're a nurse or a porter you're amongst one of the highest users of payday loans in the country with interest rates of a thousand percent or more so so how, how can that be right you know how, how can the finance system be right where you know you, you have this level of disparity but but but, but when a traditional finance person would look at it all, all they would say we're doing is well we're just pricing in risk it's economically sensible the nurse or the porter generally lower credit score more likely not to pay us so we give them a higher rate which makes sense and, and reality is economically it does make sense but socially what happens is that you know if you give people with middle to low incomes a high rate they have less disposable income more likely not to pay uh, and then the cycle cycle precipitates so, so our view is okay let's not let's not just take the easy economic answer let's look at the social implications of that as well uh, and then so let's look at risk so, so what are the pricing in the list how do we reduce risk well you can reduce risk by working with the employer and taking repayments from payroll and it gets you to the same effect so as we will say we make about the same margin on a loan as a lender would do but rather than pricing in the risk to the middle income person we reduce the risk and you get the same net effect yeah what you don't have is people asking the same question in big companies today. Right. So I guess the challenge there, though, Asish, is on your mission to leave no one behind, to include the financially excluded. When we look down your current 
list of um, partners and mm. companies. The, these are some blue chip companies mm. at which um, you know, which um, in one way or another exclude the mm. exact people that you're really mm. trying to target in mm. your bigger vision. So I guess my yeah. challenge is, yeah, yeah, you know, how, how do you become yourselves more inclusive, and to what extent might that have to come at the cost of a bit of the business success you could be enjoying at the other side? So the first thing is, yes, you, you can't solve all problems at one time. And so, so for us, you know, the majority of the people in the UK are working. Like unemployment is at kind of record, record, record lows. Um, and, and we are really available to anyone who is who is kind of working. And what we're trying to do is level the playing field. So whether you are a, uh, you know, a partner with a consulting firm or a graduate, whether you're a consultant in a hospital or you're a porter, that you get the same access to finance. And that covers, you know, the vast majority of kind of people, uh, people in the UK. I understand. Well, you say they're working, they're employed, but... I guess they're underemployed in many cases. And one thing you could be doing yeah. is putting good pressure, healthy pressure yeah. on the companies, for example, to pay the living wage. Is that is that outside your remit? Is there a way you could influence? Yeah, it's a good point. So, 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 so for us, is, I guess there are, there are different stages of the problem. So, um, you know, we, we can absolutely encourage people to pay living wage, which we you know, do think is a good thing. Um, but even if you pay living wage, if a lot of that living wage is then going uh, off on, you know, high price kind of credit and other things, then it still doesn't get the net kind of the, the, the net debt difference. Uh, you know, if if you do that, but you still don't save anything because you just spent the additional that you got, you still don't get to a better place. So, so I guess it's it's just kind of picking and solving, or just kind of picking and choosing what you, what you solve. And for us, there is in huge amounts of, um, you know, disparity in a workforce in terms of access to finance, a real lack of financial education. There's a real cultural lack of savings. Uh, and if we can address those, we think it makes a pretty meaningful yeah, and difference. I'm fascinated by this sort of breadth of vision meets singularity of focus and mm-hmm. purpose as well. Ellie, on, the, on this education point, I always fascinates mm-hmm. me how people learn about money in the first place. Any, mm-hmm. any, any, any thoughts on that? If, if the next corridor conversation <laughs> is with the, with the Minister for Education. But yeah. it's quite a serious point, isn't it, Very about serious. how people learn about money in the first place? Yes, I was actually going to ask um, both yourself, Ollie, and Asesh, um, what you think schools can be doing to improve financial education because when I was at school I had no idea about the kind of Mm. um, for example the future I had with mortgages and having to pay having to pay bills and stuff and I think it's really interesting that we don't have that in schools we don't have that kind of financial education I don't know if you guys have any ideas Asesh, please yeah, tell us. Yeah, absolutely. No, we think it's super important, and I'm, you know, kind of, you know, also personally doing a number of talks in schools at the moment. Um, mm. uh, and we think it's super important just because culturally, over the generations, uh, people are just less good at managing money. So, so even my parents' generation, you know, there's a real focus on savings, for example, mm. and uh, budgeting. And uh, whereas, you know, it just doesn't happen today. You know, whatever you earn, mm. uh, you kind of spend, and so. Um, you know, and so if you can't learn from your parents, then who do you learn from? And so, you know, we think schools play a really important role in that. And so, you know, certainly, and, and we, we do think it's not just about learning, it's just that there, it's being creative about how it's taught as well, because there are some things on your curriculum already. Um, but yeah, we, we think there's a huge role school can play to really help the next, next generations. I remember asking someone in a youth club in Oxford a few years ago um, what they thought the um, interest they would earn on a tenor in the bank in a month would be. And they guessed uh, £10, um, you know, when it was much closer to, you know, a penny or whatever it would have been. And they just had this such a, you know, I'm not dismissing the naivety. I was just struck by the background of huge interest rates that mm. had been part of their lives mm. and this real gap in what they've been learning about 
some some of the basics that you're talking exactly. about money savings interest would you put it on the curriculum Asesh? yeah very much so and I, i'd also bring in like kind of speakers because reality is you know you know small changes as uh, small decisions you make early in your life and your career really really change if, if i look at you know of, of the people i graduated for example, you know, about 14 15 years ago you know just the, the you know the people that got on the housing ladder a bit quicker the people that saved a little bit the people got into good habits the difference is transformational like mm-hmm. it, it is um, it is absolutely unbelievable it's life changing um, and so, so, so for something which is life changing i think you know teaching it early and having role models good and bad mm-hmm. um, is it, is certainly a helpful helpful thing yeah, I, i couldn't agree more um So very quickly, we're going to go sort of rapid fire, if you like. Uh, Elia, quick question for Asesh. Uh, you've heard about the salary finance adventure. What would you like to ask him? I would ask, how do you think your consulting background has prepared you for setting up your own company and kind of breaking into this market? Yeah, sure. So um, I actually love being a consultant. And so I guess I left uh, to follow a passion rather than being a happy consultant. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I guess I, I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur as soon as I'd graduated, even even before that. And I'd get kind of quite frustrated that I didn't have the combination of things I wanted, which was a great idea, some real capital backing, and I guess the bravery to really kind of do it. Um, and I guess when, when I did when I did make the move, I guess you know, I'd become a partner, so I kind of felt I had some kind of you know stability behind me, you know, an idea I believed in. I was fortunate to get some kind of capital behind me. Um, but, but I guess I am so glad that I waited those 13 or 14 years because what I learned in consulting, I use every single day from how I communicate, how I structure ideas, incredibly my network. Like, you know, you know I probably worked on 40 or 50 kind of projects. You know, I was fortunate to work in a number of countries and mm, globally kind of as well. Yeah. Cultures. Mm. Uh, and it was just fun. It was just kind of great. You know, actually, and you have a network of people. Whereas actually uh, in a, you know, so sometimes in a startup, you do one thing you specialize in. Whereas in a consulting firm, you experience a lot. So, so for me, um, loved my time in consulting and, you know, really would not, really would not have changed it. Excellent. No, very cool reflection. Asesh, a question for Ellie. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I guess I would love to hear kind of, you know, you kind of you know, talked about kind of, uh, I guess, you know, being true to yourself and uh, kind of following your path. Kind of, you know, w- w- what are your kind of, I guess, kind of hopes and dreams career wise? Kind of where, where, where do you hope to go? I, um, oh, it's hard to say, isn't it, when you're only eight months into a graduate scheme. I personally am really enjoying um, consulting. I think Deloitte is a fantastic company and the opportunities that I've been able to um take advantage of whilst I've been at the company is something that I would really like to continue on that career path so yeah a stereotype because it is just say I'd love to be a partner and all that kind of stuff and love to be a leader I think um that's definitely where I hopefully see myself going fingers crossed <laughs> no well, quite well, quite so so my other um questions and I ask all the guests on the lens this I'm fascinated by who people want to meet so Ellie if you could have coffee with anyone half an hour uh, I'm going to restrict it to about seven mm. billion so they have to be alive <laughs> uh, who, who would it be have to be alive yeah I would have to say Dolly Alderton Dolly Alderton, yes. so, the, so the writer, the yes, journalist. journalist. Yes, she's absolutely fantastic. And I think actually on our conversation about mental health, she is fantastic at opening um, and breaking down those barriers and opening the doors to encouraging people to talk about mental health. And I think that's really important. So I think she's a fantastic, fantastic and positive female role model. Excellent. So I'd love to go. No, great choice. Asesh, <laughs> who do you choose? Um, probably somewhat cliche, but Elon Musk. And so I guess one of the things I try to teach myself, uh, which I'm absolutely not, is to be fearless uh, uh, in terms of your ambition, your intent, your drive. And actually for anyone I look at today in business, you know, I would say Elon Musk, whether you like him or not, he is fearless uh, and it's a trait I really respect. I don't know if this is an acceptable or appropriate question. What is your perception of Elon Musk's mental health? 
It's a really good question. Um, so I think he it has a level of brilliance um, and a level of genius. Mm. Uh, and quite often when that happens, you also do, uh, there are kind of mental characteristics and kind of traits which come can't come from that and so yeah. uh, I think it's very hard to have kind of one not, not one and not the other um, I guess he is in uncharted territories like how many people have achieved kind of what he has so there's no real there's no real kind of precedence uh, there I'm just going to say look, I, I feel quite uncomfortable asking that question in that way right and I don't and so I don't approve of the way I've asked that question so I ask myself why I don't approve of it you know how would I feel someone on a podcast what do you make of Ollie Barrett's mental health and I think the question that could concern me so therefore I apologize for phrasing it in that way I wonder what to what extent entrepreneurs risk burning out Mm. and I say that as just just as a friend as a human being as a you know somebody with lots of mates who who run run things and I guess that I guess that's what's behind my question and I and therefore I wonder if sometimes there is one rule for one rule for them, one rule for us, and I don't, I don't know. You yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think it's you, you definitely. One of the things I've really learned is you definitely need a support network around you, um, because you know when when the thing with being an entrepreneur uh, and you know which is different from when I was a consultant is. Uh, there is there is a very thin protection layer. Like you know, if you have if you had a, if you have a bad year as a partner in a consulting firm, it's okay. You've got your partners around you to kind of carry. Uh, you know, if you were the leader of if you are the entrepreneur and the leader, um, you know, it really does stop with you, and there is kind of nowhere kind of nowhere to go. And so you experience extreme highs and you experience extreme extreme lows. Uh, and what you really need is kind of people behind you to take that. And so for me, I'm very fortunate to have great capital backers um, very fortunate to have Dan and Daniel around me to do that um, otherwise it can be a very lonely uh, very lonely place and, and aside from that peer support any practical things you do to improve your own um, mental health your, your well-being what, what do you do in practice what yeah, works absolutely so um, I'm pretty uh, fixed on my hours which is I don't work weekends uh, and I try to keep at least three evenings a week for kind of family so I'm kind of very kind of clear on that uh, try to prioritise uh, sleep um, and then I'm just pretty structured about how I manage my day. Uh, and if I lose any of those three things, then I can I can really, really feel it. Excellent. So second super quick question, Ellie, a book uh, that you've read that you think deserves a, a wider audience, doesn't have to be a business book, what do you choose? Um, I really enjoyed uh, This Is Going To Hurt by Adam Kay. Yes, this really is, a, this is a, a GP. Yes, really great book. And it's essentially like a diary and it's a window into the, lives as, as a, the life as a GP and as a consultant, which is really interesting and I'm sure... Well, this is a world you know something about yeah. us, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Have you really? <laughs> no, I should do. <laughs> really Help me understand my wife a bit better. <laughs> what's, um, what's, on your, what's on your bookshelf? Um, so, uh, yeah, probably kind of two to four, but I really enjoyed uh, Mission by um, uh, Michael... Um, Michael Heyman and Nick Michael Giles. Michael Heyman and Nick Giles, absolutely. Um, not largely because it, it kind of talks to really the question you asked, which was, you know, can business and social purpose coexist? Um, and, and I think you know, certainly it's something I believe in. I think the book articulates it incredibly, incredibly well. Um, and it's just really something which is really not mainstream today. There are absolutely great examples of it, um, but I think a lot of people could really value from right. the thinking behind it. So this is Mission, How the Best in Business Breakthrough, isn't it? I, I tell you, and brilliant case studies in there with John Mackey from Whole Foods and, 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 and many more great. So final question. Uh, go back to the start of your Deloitte journey, Ellie, I think. And, and, and I'm going to take you back to the start of your salary finance journey as well. Or even further back, if you wish, <laughs> a piece of advice to your former self. What would you say? I would say to myself um, to stop stressing about the things that don't mean too much. 
um, that don't, in the grand scheme of things, they don't realistically matter. I think I, especially when I was in my final year of university, where we ha- you have so much on your plate and everything can feel a little bit overwhelming, and I would just tell myself to kind of take a step back and just take everything one thing at a time and just relax. <laughs> I, I think it's a, an incredibly important and recurring theme. Uh, the more I ask this question, right, Asesh, what would you say? Uh, very similar to Ellie's. I would say, um, you know, don't worry about a destination. Kind of, you know, uh, you know, focus on enjoying every day, every experience. Um, you know, learning, being great, a great person, the kind of people around you. And if you do those things, kind of great stuff will happen. Whatever, the, whatever that great stuff is. Excellent. Now, my, my final question for anyone listening who's thinking quite deeply now because of this connection between our mental and our financial health, saying, look, we need to step up as an organisation. But I'd like, uh, you know, a final thought on that. And it could, it could be practical. Uh, it, it could be whatever whatever comes to your mind. I said, uh, what, would you, what would you want to leave someone listening with? Yeah, sure. So I would say uh, leaders in organisations have huge responsibilities for their people. Um, and they have the ability to make enormous amounts of of difference. Um, and so I'd very much encourage them to look at financial wellness as a category, uh, as part of their overall kind of HR and wellbeing thinking, and really be thoughtful about what what, what they do. They're in a very privileged position, uh, and they should be really do as much as they can to kind of support their people as well. Mm, and you've both got me thinking on that about what an organisation does and what its leadership do and are seen to do mm-hmm. as individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellie, what would your advice be? I totally agree. I feel um, it cannot be stressed enough the importance of leaders and how that impacts um, the business as a whole. I think there needs to be, even externally to the businesses, there needs to be more of a conversation around um, well-being and how to best kind of promote that um, in your everyday life. I think it, it extends outside of your working life. It should be something that encompasses your whole Um, existence really it should be a 24-hour thing you should um, constantly be thinking about how you can make yourself um, like a happier and um, um, happier individual so I think it's um, something that shouldn't just be inside the businesses but everywhere. Mm, Well there's a fascinating concept there isn't there about the opportunity to put lines around things Mm. for our mental well-being and yet embrace the fact that it's all connected and I think there are so many unspoken conversations that must be uh, not happening about finance about our mental well-being so, so here's to more of those I was just wondering um, if you had any other thoughts on what other, obviously financial is a, is a huge element but if you had any other elements that you thought play a really important role in well-being a lot of what we see with people is it's um, as, as well as being as well as well-being it's also about we find increasingly you know particularly kind of, you know, young, young people on the team, really caring about the purpose of the organisation. So, you know, so, you know, you feel, A, you're looked after, you're kind of healthy, but actually you can see you're playing a part in something kind of great as well. And so we think that the cross between well-being and the purpose of the organisation become really powerful, A, A for, for, you know, the overall, but also just for the individual, individual as well. Mm. I'm fascinated by, um, um, you know, human connections, social networks, mm. who we have in life. Uh, to support us and mm. so for me um, you can appear part of a very large organisation but actually you could be feeling very lonely mm. and so for me thinking more deeply about the people that surround us who support us mm-hmm. is, is a fascinating beginning of a conversation um, unfortunately it's the end of our conversation so it might have to be <laughs> another episode um, but uh, for now uh, Asesh Sarkar and Ellie Marshall thank you very much indeed thank you so much for having thank me you. thank you you've been listening to The Lens with me Ollie Barrett If you like what you heard, please leave us a comment and subscribe to us on iTunes and you'll get the latest episodes as they drop. The Lens is a business in the community programme powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. 
Today's episode is produced and directed by Harvey Winter, with music and editing by Giselle Hall. Our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.